Today we're looking at a very puzzling parable. And in it, there is some shocking wisdom in teaching you how to become somebody who gets what they want. It's strange because this is a parable that has been avoided by preachers and teachers alike. Because Jesus seems to be saying things that contradict Christianity, that seem to be contradicting who he is, what he stands for, how you get what you want. But there's also a warning in the parable that what you want, in the end, you might not be so happy with. So it's a challenging parable. And I do like a good challenge. It seems very Grove-like. So we are going to go for it. It is Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. It's known as the parable of the dishonest manager. And here's the context. Jesus has just finished this famous parable of the prodigal son. And now he's alone with his disciples and he's speaking to just them in this small setting. And so... Here we go. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. The charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now the master, when he heard about this, commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you? That which is your own. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right. First, what I want to do is tell you the meaning of this. That's going to be our first point. What is the meaning of this crazy parable? And then, second, we're going to look at some practical advice about what it means for how we should live in this world. So first, here's we have three 
real characters in the story. So we have the owner or the master. So he's owning a business, probably in agriculture. And then this owner has a manager or steward that's running the day-to-day operations of this business. And then there are the debtors, the people who owe the master money. So I've read, th- I read three commentaries on this, and they basically all have different opinions of what it means. The first commentary is saying this is a parable about the owner of this business, and we're supposed to see he's generous and gracious. Another commentary says, no, no, no. This, this owner's messed up. He's fallen into the cunning, unethical business practices of the day, and he's simply impressed with how wise this manager is. And then last uh, commentary basically said, ah, I don't know. Here's all the options. So thank you for that, commentaries. But I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I got it. Here's the main meeting. We should be as shrewd for the kingdom of God as this man is for his own kingdom. To be shrewd means to have sharp powers of judgment, to be strategic. Now, often... Those who are shrewd are seen as a bit of tricksters. They're doing something over here so that you'll look here, and then they're doing something behind your back so they can get the better of you. They're wise in this cunning way, in this way that you don't really want to trust them. You can't trust them. What this is saying is the Christian should put as much effort into building the kingdom of God as this man is in building his own kingdom. And then this line, if you are faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with much. But if you're dishonest with a little, you're going to be dishonest with with much. And basically what this is saying is you've got two directions you can go. And wisdom will make you successful in whichever direction you pick. So if you're unfaithful, you're going to be really successful in the unfaithful practices of the world. If you're faithful, you're going to be faithful. You're going to be wise in bringing the kingdom of God. You'll be successful in it. So your character or heart determine what you're aiming at. Two different directions. Character determines your aim and your wisdom determines the degree of success you have in achieving that aim. Make sense? There's a Bible verse that kind of sums this up. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. All right, so I do want to walk you through the story, too, because, well, it's important to know the story. So there's a business owner, and it's likely agriculture. He owns a bunch of land, and there's a bunch of debtors who are renting the land from him, and there's a manager who is in charge of all of this because the owner is away. He's always away. It seems like maybe he doesn't live in the area. So the owner has entrusted all that he has to this steward, this manager, Now, in this time, stewards were trusted people. They're part of the family. Most likely, this household, this steward would have been raised up in the household. They would have been like brothers. They would have been like, I don't know. They would have been close. They would have loved each other. And so the owner catches word that the manager has basically been running up the credit card bill. 
He's been living a lavish lifestyle on the owner's bill. The owner hears about it, so he says to, writes to him and says, this is going to stop, no more, and I've got to let you go. I can't believe you did this to me. We've been like family. What has happened? What's happened to you? The manager, he's cunning. He gets alone and he starts to realize, okay, what am I going to do? Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find his debtors. Because the debtors don't know this yet. The debtors don't know he's fired. And so he meets with them individually, one-on-one, -on -one, to make them feel really special. And he says, what, what do you owe my master? A hundred measures of oil? Pay 50. Which is like two years worth of wages. Goes to another. The wheat goes from 180. Again, this is like two years worth of wages. And we think he probably, it seems like he probably did this with some others. So basically what this manager has done is put the debtors in now his own debt. He's, he's done favors of up to perhaps a million dollars in our day. He's being strategic and cunning and setting up his future. And it's a very wise move because he knows the owner well and he knows that the owner is gracious and generous. So he knows what would have happened. So as soon as the owner gets back into town, the whole town is going to hear what he's done and start praising him for his generosity, for his kindness, for his graciousness. They're looking at him. They're giving him round of applause, maybe. And he's like, what is happening? Only to find out that essentially his manager has given a million dollars away in his own name. So he's got a choice to make. Will he go to the whole town and say, ah, that pesky manager, he stricked us all. He's going to look shameful. It's going to be a shameful thing for him. And he's already generous and he's already gracious, and so he just lets it go. And what the manager now has done has found a way to set up the rest of his life to be living in luxury. Because in this culture, he would have had to be. It's common practice. He would have been paid back for all that he did. He's got a beautiful future for himself calculated strategy and then the master even praises him for it it's wild because he's kind of a bit of an anti-hero he's a little bit of a robin hood so he's taken from this wealthy man and he's basically given it out to the town and along with that well he's like one of these cunning characters that like maybe Sherlock Holmes, where you wouldn't want to be friends with him because he's going to make fun of you the whole time, but you like watching him because he's strategic and wise and can make some things happen. Or like Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones. Don't watch that show, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> One of these people that you just don't want to be friends with. You don't trust them. But you admire them for their skills. Or like Jack Sparrow. He would... He would you do not trust that guy, but you like watching him. It's the idea. So what are you supposed to learn from this story? How's it going to change the way you live? Our second point, wisdom and aim. Wisdom will get you very far in life. You should seek after wisdom like a treasure hunter lusts after gold. Give somebody $5 million who has no wisdom in a couple years, it'll be gone. 
drain someone of everything that they have and they have a bunch of wisdom in a few years, they'll have $5 million. Your success or failure in life is tied intricately into your wisdom. Generally speaking, there is something called the blessings of God or what the world might call luck. But for the most part, generally speaking, the way the world works is if you are wise, you will have success in your aim. Now the question becomes, what should you be aiming at? You have two options as far as I can tell. You aim at your kingdom or the kingdom of God. Your empire or God's empire. So you think of this text as saying you can't serve God and money. It's saying you can't serve God's kingdom and your kingdom at the same time. You've got to pick one. And as soon as you pick one, it's going to look like you despise and hate the other one. So the question you have to ask yourself, which kingdom do you think about most? Yours or God's? Which kingdom are you working on building the most? Which one do you dream about the most? Which one do you scheme about the most? Which one are you most strategic about? Could it be that many of us in this room are wise in the ways of the world, but we're foolish in that we really have no idea how to bring the kingdom of God? Do we even know what the kingdom of God is? It's where Christ rules and reigns, where he is honored, where he is loved, where people in this place live as he lived. And in our text specifically, the kingdom of God looks like a, a manager or a steward, someone who has everything in their life that they have been entrusted to by God, all their things. And they say to God, God, it's yours. How would you have me live with it? It's an alternative way of living. A city within a city. Heaven come down. And I'm going to tell you something. It is hard work trying to figure out how to bring the kingdom of God. I can say it easily. Love God and love others. But working out what love really looks like towards God and towards others requires a tremendous amount of wisdom because we live in a world that secretly rejects love or takes love and taints it, twists it, makes it something it isn't. And, and like, just be honest, this alternative kingdom, do you really want it more than the riches of the world? Really? Is your life screaming, I want the kingdom of God to come? Because if it's not, it's going to scream that you want another kingdom to come. So your ability to get at what you're aiming at is tied up intricately with how wise you are. And you're aiming at something, and if you're not getting it, you have a wisdom problem. And if you're not sure how to bring the kingdom of God, you have a wisdom problem. And if, if you're a bold Christian and you're like, I'm going to share the good news of Jesus and you just keep on making everybody mad and they're annoyed at you, you have a wisdom problem. 
That's why we need training in wisdom. There's this line that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear is the beginning. But also we've got to execute wisdom in the middle and the end. So we've got to get trained. Third point, training and aim. You know, the reason that this manager is so shrewd or wise and cunning and strategic is because he's single-mindedly focused in the aim of bringing his kingdom. And if you become single-mindedly focused on any one thing, you will get wise at making that thing come. Interestingly, that is why people of the world, as you might call, are much wiser in the ways of the world than the Christian. Christians look dumb sometimes in the world. And the saying goes, because they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. In other words, we keep thinking about heaven. It's like, that's all I'm trying to get you to do here all the time. Think about heaven, think about heaven, think about heaven. Am I making you dumb by doing that? Well, actually, no. Because you shouldn't stop at understanding the ways of heaven and the ways of the kingdom. You keep going. And as soon as you get up into the ways of the kingdom, you know what the kingdom does? It throws you right back down into the world and says, bring heaven to the earth. Our aim is twofold. We become a master of two worlds. That's what Jesus is. He knew the ways of the world more than the world did. He looked at people and he read them and he knew them. And he knew what they were up to more than they knew it themselves. And he told them he was wise, a master of two worlds, and we have to become the same. Most Christians fall short even at aiming at heaven. And this text is saying, aim at heaven, grasp hold of it, and then learn how to bring it in all the earth. In order to do that, you have to know the way the world works. You have to know the way people work. And you could learn a lot just by listening to people. Like, just spend some time listening. You'll learn a lot. Like, just stop talking. Listen to them. You'll learn amazing things about them. The wisdom we need is twofold. I just finished reading a book called The 48 Laws of Power. It could have been written by this dishonest manager. Basically, the premise of the book is be strategic and wise in getting power. And if you have power, you'll be successful. And it's like, here's the way the world works. Here's the way people work. I'm just going to be honest with you in the book. This is the way the world is. And if you want power and success, follow these 48 laws. I also just finished a book called The Psychology of Money. Great line in it. It says, few topics offer as powerful a magnifying glass as why people behave the way they do than money. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God and money here. Because if you serve money, you're essentially serving the kingdom that you're trying to build. Because if you're aiming at your kingdom, the greatest tool that you have at your disposal is money. If you're building the kingdom of God, the greatest tool that you have at your disposal is generosity. 
It's an upside-down kingdom. You have to become a steward. The way you treat money reveals what kingdom you're trying to build. There's another book I'm reading I just finished about interrogation. Uh, It's called Never Split the Difference, and the premise is you want something in life, and you need to learn to negotiate with people in order to get what you want. So, I mean, that's a, that's a tool, and it could be used in a good way or a bad way, depending on where you are aiming. You could be negotiating with people to help people. Like, that's a good motive. And you could actually help them if you understand the way people work. Or you could get what you want and manipulate people. And next thing you know, you somehow have millions of dollars like this guy in the story. You've been fired, and now you've got a million dollars. Christians need to be better in understanding the way the world works and the way people work. We have to be constantly training ourselves. We are in these two worlds, so we have to become a master of both. But it becomes very tempting when you become a master of this world. Second, or next point, temptation and aim. The wise get what they want but they don't always like it in the end. You must be wise in heart also, not just strategy. Because worldly wisdom is tempting. If you're going to be wise in heart and wise in strategy, you've got to live your life with your Bible opened up. If you're going to train in the ways of the world, you got to have your Bible opened up at the same time because the ways of the world will lure you in. They will tempt you. Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, he dabbled in the shadows of wisdom. He tried things out to see if this is a good idea or a bad idea. And he's like, that was a bad idea. I should not have done that. It took me my whole life to figure it out, learn from all of my lessons. It took him down. Because he dabbled too deep in the shadows of wisdom. So you have to be like his father, David. A man after God's own heart. I heard someone say the best way to do theology is with a Bible open and a newspaper open at the same time. I mean, I'd say you can't. You can't walk out your door without your Bible open in your heart and your mind because temptation is everywhere. And it will lure you in and it will corrupt you. And it will do it secretly without you even knowing it. To bring heaven to earth, you must be a master of both worlds. But you can't be overcome by the ways of the world. The manager also, think about this, he was a steward. All that he had, he was managing for the owner. It all belonged to the owner. His position brought a lot of temptation because the owner was not there. Sounds similar? Where, where's Christ? He's on his throne. I mean, yes, he's with us, but he's primarily ruling and reigning in heaven. We're waiting for the day for him to return, and so that means he's not here. And so you look at all your stuff, and you go, oh, look at what I have. Or you're like, look at what I don't have, whatever. But still, you, mean you, get, you get the point. There's stuff at your disposal. 
and you could use it for two different purposes. What purpose will it serve? What end is it? What's your aim with all the stuff that you have? Because to be a steward means to have something that is not yours. The point of this parable is also you're a steward of everything you have. It does not belong to you. It belongs to God. Use it for him, for his glory, and for his kingdom. Make that your aim and get wise in that aim. Use it for the sake of love. Look at what it says in our verses. Make, it's weird, listen. Make friends with others with unrighteous wealth that will fail, it says. Now, what is unrighteous wealth? It's, it's just the things of the world. It's the wealth of the world. It's everything you have that you can't take with you when you're gone. It's the stuff that fades, that burns up. So it says, make friends for yourselves with others using unrighteous wealth, which means love the people in your life well with the things that you have been given and entrusted to with God. It's not yours, it's God's. Use it to love others. And if you're wise, the first thing you're thinking is, People will start taking advantage of me. And you're absolutely right. They will. But it's God's. It's God's stuff. Use it to love others generously. The, the shrewd man, it says, was welcomed into earthly people's homes. But if you win people over for the sake of love, with whatever you have at your disposal, a lot or a little bit. Like, it's like this idea, like, you say, well, I don't have a lot. Well, if you're not faithful with a lot, you won't, with a little, you won't be faithful with a lot. So if you're having trouble loving people well with the little bit that you have, you certainly won't do it with the lot of it that you have. So make a decision now. Are you going to love people well with what you have? Take aim and fire and love really well. And then it says, your new friends who you win over into the kingdom will welcome you into their eternal home, which means there's going to be a big party one day. And all the stuff that you're doing here for others for the sake of love, you'll be celebrating it in eternity. That's a cool idea. And you know what it means? There's some things you can take with you. It's... When you use what you have to love others, you celebrate into eternity. You get to take that with you. It's the only thing. So you got to face the temptation. Look at all your stuff. Declare it to be God's. And then say, God, how would you have me put this to work? Do you feel it? Like... That temptation, it's really, I mean, pure heart all the way. It is so hard to look at the things that you have and say, God, these are yours. Tell me what to do with it. It's terrifying to ask that question. In, in seminary, the missions professor would, would challenge everybody and say, 
Will you pray this prayer? God, anywhere you want me to go, I'm willing to go across the world if needed. Will you pray the prayer to God? God, here's everything that I have. It's yours. It's yours anyways. Tell me what to do with it. Would you actually pray that prayer? It's very overwhelming. Do you want me to tell you why? Because we are, we are people who long to be safe. We long to be comfortable. We, we long to be protected. We want to have a home to come to, home to. We want to have walls built around us to protect us from our enemies, whatever they might be. And so you know why marketing works so well? They start with what you fear the most. They identify it, and you're like, you're watching a commercial, and you're like, wait, I didn't even know I was scared of this. Now I'm scared of something. And they're like, well, here's a product that will help you with that. Oh, thank, thank you. So you buy it. You know what you're doing? You're building a nice wall around you so you can feel protected, so you feel like you can take on the world, so you feel like you've got some worth and some value in the kingdom that you're building, and it feels good. Using all that you have for the kingdom of God will make you feel very vulnerable and very unprotected because you've essentially just given everything away. So what will compel you to actually do this? The only thing that's going to get you to do what is required to be a good steward is to see Christ's aim. No matter how vulnerable you feel, you have to see that Christ's aim is to fight for you, to fight in front of you, to fight before you, to fight whatever's coming at you. And you've got to see that he did everything to give you the riches of heaven and to share those. So, okay, Christ's aim, what is it? His aim right now for you in your life is for him to be standing side by side with you, fighting to bring heaven onto earth. It's a mission and it's a purpose that's much larger than you. It's not safe, but it's good. It's not easy, but it's rewarding. And the calling will require you to suffer a bit. But on the other side of suffering is joy. And that joy will make the suffering undone. He's a master of two worlds and he's teaching you to do the same. And the king of heaven, he came to conquer the world with cunning wisdom. He had the greatest strategy that there has ever been. He tricked evil in death and sin. He allowed himself to be swallowed up by it all. He carried sin and he brought it down with him into death. And there inside of death, he forged life. He tricked the trickster. He tricked sin. He tricked evil. He tricked death. And he rose up out of it all. And now he has ascended to the throne in heaven, having conquered both worlds, you might say. And then he sends his spirit to now dwell within your heart. 
Spirit of God living in you, doing what? Being your guide. So you might become a master of two worlds. And so that means, what do you do? Well, you're a steward. A steward of what? Steward of his grace, steward of his mercy, steward of all that he's given you. You are becoming like a Robin Hood figure. Only you're not taking from the king of heaven. He's already given it to you. And you just simply give out grace, generosity, mercy, love, and you lavish it upon the people around you. That's what it means to be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. Let's pray. Father, you have shown us that you are rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in love. And we should be people who are the same. Because all that is yours, Lord Jesus, you say is ours. We are co-heirs with you. You share it all with us. So teach us to share all that we have with the people that we love. And teach us to love. Teach us to be bold. Teach us to be risky. Teach us to be courageous. All for you. All for your glory. For the sake of your kingdom of heaven coming on the earth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.